The book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if any of you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And now, and as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I'm not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, they fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who, were coming up, who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news, that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and the sure blessings of David. Therefore, therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said of the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. 
And after the meeting of the synagogues broke up, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you, since you thrust it aside and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, you might think that there's a lot about this passage that you and I don't relate to. Um, I can assure you, for one, I've never gone out of a service and had people beg me to speak the same thing to them next Sunday, uh, the following service. But here we see the Apostle Paul, actually the first service of the Apostle Paul, the first sermon, rather, of the Apostle Paul that we get in the book of Acts. An important thing for us to look at. But before we look at it, I want us to pray. Join me, please. Father, we thank you so much that you are with us. Father, I... I don't know if we all felt this way. But as Nathan's saying that we need you now, that resonates with each of us. We need you. Father, we know that as has already been prayed today, that there are more reasons to be distracted than there feel like there are reasons to listen and to pay attention. Father, there are times when the reality of this world, the cares and the concerns of this world, feel to us that they're choking out the growth of your word bearing fruit in our lives. But Father, you've promised us that your word would not go forth and return to you void but would always accomplish the purposes for which you sent it. Father, that gives me a lot of courage. And Father, I pray for the women and the men here that it would give them a lot of courage. That you would believe, that we would believe, Father, that you are at work in our lives even today. Even in these next few minutes that you are at work. That you're doing something that is bringing life to bear in our lives. Father, we have a hard time making sense of the world around us. And honestly, 
we're overwhelmed with the cares and the concerns of our lives. And so we ask you, as this wind has been blowing all day, and Holy Spirit, as Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, we know that you blow when and where you choose to blow. And so we ask you, would you blow, Holy Spirit, into our lives? Would you refresh us by the clarity of your word? And would you show us a picture of Christ that would amaze us? And as we gaze upon it, as your word says, would we be transformed? Would we be different women and men than when we came in here? Would we be different? Father, for any of this to happen, we confess that we need you. Father, one day we're going to be bold enough to list all the reasons why we need you. But we know that you know. And so speak to us now. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for giving us Jesus. In his name we pray all these things. Amen. All right, 921. Open those Bibles. Can't go verse by verse on this one. It's way too long. And I promise you'll beg me never to preach again if I did. But I want you to hear that what these folks asked for in the synagogue when Paul and Barnabas came. Uh, I, I, I called Chris this week and I made sure that I said pay fos. And I said, oh, like taco? And he said, yes, oh, like taco, but a soft O. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I don't know what that means. But as these guys left Paphos and ended up in Antioch of Pisidia, not the Antioch from Syria from which they came, but the Antioch that's up in Turkey on the other side of Cyprus, where Paul and Barnabas find themselves, we hear for the first time the way that Paul understands the joining together of the law of the law and the prophets with Jesus. This is a big sermon for the book of Acts. It's a big sermon for us. And I want to couch it in the context that Paul couches it in. We see in these verses 13 to 16 that Paul and Barnabas find themselves in the synagogues and we know already from the last few verses in chapter 13 that it was their regular duty is as they went on the Sabbath day to the synagogues and there they proclaimed Christ to anyone who would listen. But here, the Law and the Prophets have been read. And then the readers sit down and they say, Paul and Barnabas, those of you who are with us, the idea is there probably were more than just Paul and Barnabas. We know that at some point Luke joins them. We know that Luke is with Paul at the end of Colossians when Paul writes Colossians probably from Rome, probably from prison, that Luke is there ministering to him. And we know that Luke, as we get later in these chapters of Acts, is with him in a lot of places. But we know that the men of the synagogue looked to Paul and Barnabas and they said, if you have any words of encouragement for us, anything that could console us, we want you to speak to us. We want you to speak those words to us. And Paul essentially says this, I want you to see and to believe that the promises that are proclaimed in the law and the prophets, that these promises have been fulfilled in Jesus, God's resurrected and reigning king. Paul wants to encourage them. 
How are we encouraged by this passage? I was with a friend this week, and this friend got bad news. And this friend of mine looked at me and he said, you know something, I find myself planning my life 10 years into the future And one piece of bad news can cause everything to crumble that led to that place that I thought that I was going to be. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with this idea that bad news comes? What do we do when our view of the future is shaken? Paul, in these verses, gives us a great reality check. And I want you, if you have been disappointed in the last few months, if your hopes for the future have been shaken in the last four months, if you need a word of encouragement this morning, I want you to listen to what Paul is doing. Because Paul is going back to Jesus' playbook. What do I mean by that? Well, it's really interesting. I was thinking about this passage and, and reading what Paul has to say. And do you know what it fits hand in glove with Jesus' understanding of the law and of the kingdom of God. In Luke 16, Jesus says it like this, The law and the prophets were until John. But since then, since John the Baptist came, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it, it says in verse 16. Or that can also be read, or everyone is forcefully or intensely urged into it. And what struck me is that's exactly the outline of Paul's sermon. When Paul was asked to give the words of encouragement, he used the playbook of Jesus. This playbook that would become the playbook of the Dr. Luke. This idea that is that that is repeated over and over in Luke. And those of you who are studying Luke and the Bible studies see this, that the gospel is presented as promise and promises fulfilled. And I want you to see these three divisions. Just as Jesus said them, the law and the prophets were until John. We're going to see that in verses 16 through 25. Then we're going to see, since then, the good news of the kingdom is preached. Verses 26 through 36. And then finally, And everyone is intently urged or even forcibly urged into it. Verses 38 through 43. Why is this an encouragement for us today? Because I want to remind you, as if you need to be reminded, that there is an ever-present tension into our lives to live according to another reality other than the fact that God's salvation has been accomplished in Jesus Christ and he is the center of all reality. You see, the temptation of all of our lives is to live according to another reality. It struck me this week as the community group's leaders have been working and and praying and planning in this new season of community groups that when we were there, we began to talk about the need to recapture the why. Why are we meeting together? Why are we the church? Why are we living this life? 
at the beginning of a new year, it's a good reason to stop and ask that question, why? And we're going to see that encouragement from the Apostle Paul. So look at these first sections with me, verses 16 through 25. And I want you to see this first word of encouragement that the Apostle Paul brings them. He says to them, the right use of the law and the prophets point to God's salvation. The right way of understanding the law and the prophets, the old covenant, the way that God has revealed himself, the right way to understand that is it points to God's salvation. And again, the phrase that I see directly in Paul is that the law and the prophets were until John because in verses 16 through 25, he starts with what was most likely read in the synagogue and he ends with John the Baptist right there. But notice what his focus is. He says in verse 16, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Two groups of people that are there in the synagogue Men of Israel, he highlights the nation of Israel and God-fearing Gentiles, those who fear God, listen. And then what he does is he unpacks for them God's acts of salvation, how God rescued them from Egypt, how he brought them into the land of Canaan. Well, before then, how he put up with them, as it says there, in the desert, right? Because we know that the people came out of Israel, and what did they do about God's salvation? Complained. This is not what I want my life to be like. This is not what I expected to have happen. God put up with them, and then he brings them into Canaan. He gives them land, and in verse 23, we're told that they asked for a king. Now, if you remember what happened with Samuel, Samuel was devastated when they asked for a king because Samuel was their prophet. And God comes to Samuel and he says to Samuel, remember Samuel, it's not you they rejected, it's that they rejected me as their king, Samuel. But God gives them a king, he gives them Saul, and then he removes Saul and he gives them David. And he gives them David and he says, this is one who is a man after my own heart who will do all of my will that he says. And then... Paul says in verse 23, of this man's offspring, of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Paul references this Psalm 123, the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. God also spoke that to David in 2 Samuel 7. God's work of salvation, his acts of salvation, even in light of the Israelites' rebellion, seen in verses 18 and in verse 21. And then he says, this is the very testimony of John the Baptist. Listen to how he finishes it. Before his coming, before Jesus' coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course... He said, what do you suppose, that I am he? I am not he, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Why do we need to hear this? Because we need to be reminded that Christianity does not come in a vacuum. 
The results of what we say, church, we believe, is God's fulfillment of his promises. Remember, this is an important thing. Christianity is not just a way of life that you have decided, this is what makes my life work. But Christianity, worshiping Jesus as our Savior and our King, is God's way of salvation. That's a great encouragement to us. What's the second word of encouragement? If I could say it as, the Paul, as Paul might have said it, hear the good news. Hear the good news. There is good news to be heard. It's not just the law and the prophets. It's what the law and the prophets spoke to. And now I want to proclaim to you the good news. I was with Ben and Louisa on Tuesday night when we heard about um, the missiles being fired uh, from Iran into Iraq. And Ben, who is a political science major, put two and two together and created this picture of doom. And suddenly I realized, you know, I know exactly what I want to pray for on Wednesday morning. I want to pray out of Psalm 46. The psalm that talks about though the earth give way and the mountains be moved into the hearts of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains tremble at its swelling, we are to be still and know that God is God and He will be exalted on the earth. Remember, Jesus said that the law and the prophets were until John, but since then... The good news of the kingdom is preached. And that's what we see in verses 26 through 36. Notice what Paul does in his introduction to this section, though. Before he had said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Focusing on the nation of Israel, the kingship of that nation. But listen to what he says in verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham. And those among you who fear God. Again, he recognizes two groups. But this time he doesn't say men of Israel. He says brothers, sons of the family of Abraham. And those among you who fear God. You see him increase his intimacy. Increase the specificity. And he highlights the father Abraham to whom... God had first revealed His promises of salvation. These promises that He's going to say are now realized in Christ. Right? And He goes on and He says to them, To us has been sent the message of this salvation. Verse 27. For those who lived in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize Him or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning Him. Do you find any irony in that? They did this. But who was part of they at that point? Paul himself. He, was, he could have said, look, we missed it. I missed it. But the message of salvation is here. He says and goes on. He says, though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. He says, listen, their failure to recognize Jesus and to understand the utterances of the prophets 
They fulfilled those utterances by condemning him. They had him executed. They cursed him. That's why the taking him down from the tree is a big deal. And they entombed him. They killed the king, is what he's saying. But then, like every great verse in the Bible that starts with, but God, <laughs> you see God in the light of human rejection acts according to his plans of salvation and says, God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. The action of God's salvation is God's. And we see in verse 30 and 37, 30 through 37, in these three quotes, that the resurrection of Jesus was proof of his sonship and his kingship. Resurrected from the dead. That's why the Apostle Paul quotes Psalm 2 there. That we see in the resurrection of Jesus that what God gave him was an eternal covenant. That's why he quotes Isaiah 55 there. And then he says of that one, God had promised that he would not see corruption, that he wouldn't die, but rather that he would be given life. And God did this by raising him from the dead, even in light of that generation's rejection of Jesus. Why do we need to hear this? Because our orientation, the good news that's here is that our orientation in this life is not death, but it is life. It is life in Christ. This is good news for us to remember. This is a great word of encouragement for us to remember that life isn't found in the distractions that we turn to when we don't know what to do with our deep-seated need. But life is found in Christ. The source, the fuel for everything that you do, how you work, how you play, how you love people is oriented in life, not in death. So what's the third word of these three words of encouragement? These come from verses 38 through 43. Remember how Jesus said it back in Luke 16. He said essentially, and let me read it to you one more time. I think I've got it right here. He essentially says this in Luke 16. He says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. And the last phrase, And everyone forces his way into it, or everyone is forcefully urged into it. And I want you to see that the Apostle Paul says to these folks, this last word of encouragement, don't reject the good news. Because in this good news is for you both freedom, or forgiveness rather, and freedom. Forgiveness and freedom. You see, in this section, the Apostle Paul follows the way that Jesus talked about the law and the kingdom. That everyone is insistently urged into it. How do we see that? Look at what he says in verse 38. He says one more introduction to whom he is speaking. And listen to how it changes one more time. Verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers. Notice 
how Paul isn't talking to different groups of people anymore. It's not the men of Israel and those who fear God. It's not brothers of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. Now Paul is insistent. Let it be known to you, brothers. Let it be known to all of you, brothers, that through this man, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, by him, Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And then he goes on and says, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about that you hear it and you say, I don't believe it. That's why he quotes that prophecy. Forgiveness of sins is what is on offer in this good news. Is that the orientation with which you are thinking about your life today? That first and foremost, what is encouraging to you is that your sins are forgiven. Listen, we've already had the declaration of absolution. Jeff read it for us. Woo, how about that for a catch? Jeff read it for us. But listen to how it ends. It ends like this. To those who repent and look to Jesus Christ for their salvation, the absolution of sins is effected in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The word of encouragement the Apostle Paul says is, don't let this pass you by because here's forgiveness of sins. And not just that, not just that, but because of Jesus, because of him, to everyone who believes, Jews and Gentiles, to everyone who believes, there is freedom from everything that you couldn't be freed from because of the law of Moses. What does that include? Everything's a big word, right? I'm going to highlight these three things. Condemnation, also known as guilt, death, and the inability to obey. The law couldn't give us any freedom from these things. Condemnation, death, and the inability to obey. But where the law couldn't do that, Jesus, in fulfilling the law, in dying for us, in defeating death by being raised again from the dead, gives us everything that couldn't be given by the law of Moses. Guilt. Death. The inability to obey. It goes on and it tells us in verses 42 and 43 how these people responded to him. And that those who were devout Gentiles who heard and many of the Jews who heard followed Paul and Barnabas and, and, and they, they said, we want to hear you speak again. And those who followed them, Paul and Barnabas looked at them and they urged them to continue in the grace of God. And everyone is incessantly urged or forcefully urged into it. Paul says, don't leave the grace of God in your life. Don't act as if that's something that you once believed but doesn't pertain to every day of your life. Paul would later on talk to the Ephesians and he would say, look, you've been saved by grace through faith. 
to the end that you would do good works in your life. Why do we need to hear this? Because God's law isn't going anywhere. Listen, Jesus says in Luke 16, he said, it would be easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law of God to pass away. You see, the law and the coming of the kingdom doesn't mean that the law passes away. The law is still operative. But what we see here is that in Christ, we are set free from what the law couldn't set us free from. We need to hear this because we have a constant temptation to escape this reality of guilt and of death and of the inability to obey in some other way. We either minimize the law and say, well, that doesn't pertain to us anymore. Or we are filled with depression when we realize this is our true characters. In death, we deny it and we distance ourselves from it. Or we're driven by fear and our inability to obey we either so myopically look at the law and we say, I can obey this one point and it's all we focus on to the extent of missing everything else or we just give up entirely and say, what's the point? But this word of encouragement is that we have been set free from everything that the law couldn't do. Wrapped up, it's like this. All the promises of God's salvation are fulfilled in Jesus, who is God's risen and reigning king, and through whom we have the forgiveness of our sins and freedom from everything that the law couldn't set us free from. Listen, this is our playbook. It was Jesus's. It became Paul's as he understood who Jesus was. It became Luke's. This is ours. Everything is fulfilled in Christ. I've gotten more comments over the last couple of months of the gospel according to Fred Rogers. I don't know if you've seen any of these things. And, 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 and I love Fred Rogers and, and, and the neighborhood. I, I think it's... Incredible. Mita and I loved going to watch the movie. I want you to know that your hope is not rooted in kindness and in liking and being liked. Your hope is rooted that in Christ you have been forgiven and freed from everything that the law couldn't free you from. Condemnation and death and the inability to obey. Why? Last time, last time, why is this important to us? I remember meeting with Dr. Hugenberger, who was a pastor at Park Street Church for many, many years, and I remember standing in their, I don't know what it's called, uh, we'll call it their reception area as you go in the front door, and there's a big plate glass window on either side, and on one side is capital of Boston, of Massachusetts, and on the other side is the graveyard. And I remember Dr. Hugenberger telling me that congregational churches were built and situated in between the life of the city and the graveyards on purpose to interpret the life that is between and how we're supposed to understand it. And listen, I want you to know that this word of encouragement 
is for you. That God has done everything to secure for you and me salvation. That in that salvation, what is on offer for us is the forgiveness of our sins and being set free from condemnation, from death, and from the inability to obey. So that we might go out and be, as the Apostle Paul, lights to the world. I wish I could unpack Isaiah 49 for you. I've run out of time. I might end up doing it next week. We'll wait and see. But what I want you to see is that Jesus does not mean there is a division between the law and the kingdom. But he is the fulfillment then as much as he is now. And he reigns. And it's to him that we come to be fed, to be convinced of this reality. Will you come with me? Let's pray.